Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the I Like Birds podcast. Doesn't it make you want to dance? That song? Yes, for sure. I was like, when are we starting? Because I'm about to come out in my skin. <laughs> you wore the leopard print and everything. Yeah, yeah. no, I was ready. You're I was ready. ready. For that song. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program. We got Lisa Schwartz here. Uh, one of the most powerhouse ministers in all of Texas, in my personal <laughs> opinion. Uh, great writer, uh, speaker, life coach. You you just have a, an entire list of things that you do that uh, we could be here for a long time. We could be we here for a intro, long time. You know? Yeah, absolutely. When, when you do other people's podcasts, do you give them like a script to read as no, far as never. Like what your I'm like, say what you is? want. Say what you add want. what you want. Delete what you want. No, absolutely not. I mean, sometimes people are like, send me your bio. I'm like, okay. <laughs> no, what, what, what do you send them? You just the, oh, so what, we do have a bio, of, of course, yeah. like like for as a national speaker or what have you. Right. That you know, but I'm like, pick and choose what you want. You know, yeah. uh, nobody wants to sit there and listen to you read this entire bio. Absolutely. I mean, the bio is obviously for my website. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, you gotta have that. It's evergreen. Yeah, too. absolutely. And it's yeah. always always changing too. Yes, kind of absolutely. Evolve. So yeah, I'm like just pick and choose whatever you feel like is relevant to your audience. So if I'm you know in a business sect, they're gonna introduce me completely differently. Yeah, um, definitely, because, you know, you have a lot to offer yeah. so many different people. We Absolutely. were just talking pre-show about uh, how much men have been, you know, re- coming to your ministry mm-hmm. as of late on yes. YouTube. and Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I've been ministering to men from the very beginning, which, you know, is a shocker, I think, to a lot of people. But, um, uh, yeah, it's interesting how over the last year or two, my male audience has actually surpassed my female audience so i'm like where are my ladies at yeah what's going on here (laughs) so but i mean that's kind of fun it's always just fun to see what the lord is doing you know i often say you know you can brand yourself as a business coach i tell people you can brand yourself all you want but at the end of the day the people will brand you yeah they'll put a demand on your brand so that's so true um, you know, so we're kind of watching, like we, I'm producing right now on my YouTube, um, a conference that I recently did after producing a ton of house meetings per the request of my audience. You know, my house meetings are, are very spirit filled and people are, are going to experience the gifts, the manifestational gifts of the spirit. And so now a lot of times if I produce something else, which I feel like is really great content, like yeah. teachings or whatever, it's like, just doesn't get as many views. And so, which is a little bit of a heartbreak to me because I'm a, I'm a teacher and I love to teach people and right. give them an understanding. Um, and it, a lot of that goes back to the book kind of looking beyond just the ways and the woo-woo of the spirit and really understanding the attributes and the character of God. Um, so it's it's always a little painful when I, you know, produce something that I think is great content. It doesn't yeah. get as many views because, but at the end of the day, the people put the demand on your brand. So yeah. and, and studying that is, is definitely helpful when you see what mm-hmm. works and what, you know, your audience is kind of demanding more of and you right. can kind of, you know, right. kind of lean in that direction. Right. And obviously there's a delicate balance there then too in listening to the voice of God and him saying like, this is the direction I want you to go. And, you know, for years I kind of avoided throwing out there um, just coming out of the closet as, as far as like the manifestational gifts of the spirit, because I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be relevant to people in business and those kinds of things as well. And, um, and just really, again, like more over the last year or two, the Lord's been like, just throw it all out there right. and let's see what happens. Yeah. Trust him in that because he's not going to call you to that <laughs> yeah. and, and lead you in a place right. where he's not going to honor absolutely. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's been fun to watch him just kind of shift things. Yeah, and I just feel like your hands are in so many baskets that like you re- you released this book, and I feel like you were just kind of like, oh, I'm gonna put it out, and you know whatever. See I, haven't, what I haven't seen you do like any kind of like promo for it no, for the most part, yeah. You're, which is incredible because it's so good that I was like, 
I was really just, yeah. I'm loving it right now. Yeah. And I've had a lot of really good feedback on the book. And like I said, I think, you know, you asked uh, compared to the other books and I, and I, I said, in all honesty, I, I feel every book I write gets better and better as it should. Mm-hmm. The anointing should continue to grow in us. I mean, we should expect that. Um, this is a, this is a particularly very, very, um, endeared message to me because of my personal journey, um, in my relationship with the Lord. You share that. And I love that because Mm -hmm. it's more so, um, and I've only read two of your other books, Enforcing You and, um, the discipleship Mm -hmm. book that you have as well. Come and see. Come and see. Mm -hmm. And I love those two, but this one felt very, like I got to know you better and it felt like very vulnerable, very, Mm -hmm. you know, personal. And it felt very relatable to the point of like, I know that, you know, women especially we really appreciate it, especially your opening two chapters yeah. where you talk about, you know, body image and the way you see yourself yeah. and like God hasn't called you to that and you having to break the vows of lies yes. and, and really seek the character of God mm-hmm. through that mm-hmm. and knowing who he is so you can tap into that glory and tap into your anointing. Yeah. And I think you really just paint a picture in this book of like what it means to be a Christ follower that is growing and maturing in his faith rather than being lukewarm and staying in the same place that you were when you came to Mm -hmm. salvation. And I wrote this quote down, it is possible to come out of Egypt, but still not uh, make it to the promised land. And I feel like we're seeing that right now in the Christian faith of like this kind of middle ground of like, where do Mm -hmm. we go next? Are Mm -hmm. we actually going to make it to the promised Mm -hmm. land? So can you testify about that and just, you know, share some truths about that? Yeah. So the whole book is really talking about really moving beyond just the works and the ways of God and having an understanding of his person, his character, his nature, his attributes, which is the glory of the Lord. It is the person of God. So when I... So I talk in the beginning about the anointing versus the glory. So the anointing is the part that I feel. It's kind of the woo-woo. It's the, you know, the chills up and down my spine that I get. But the glory of the Lord is just his presence. It's the I am. So when we talk about, you know, it's possible to come out of Egypt, but never make it into the promised land. At the very core of that is a loss of understanding of God's attribute of abundance, And it's not just that he wants to give abundance or can do abundance or works in a way that is abundant. It's that he is the essence of abundance. And so I'm shifting it from the ways and the works of God to just, this is just who he is. You know, I think we kind of grasp that a little bit when we talk about God is love, but he is healing. Mm. He is deliverance. He is abundance. He is life. I mean, so when we move past just the hand of God and really begin to have an understanding of the heart and the person of God. Um, That's what really penetrates. It moves us past just the action, right? Right. Like a lot of us know what it looks like to be a Christian, Mm -hmm. but then we still struggle in our heart and our mind with the actual character behind. Like I can imitate the anointing very well, right? I mean, the magicians could imitate the anointing, right? Mm -hmm. So we can imitate the anointing, but who are we when we're in the clo- in our closets? And are right. we getting serious with God and saying, "Look, I can I can extend forgiveness and I can show forgiveness, but if I want my heart and my mind to really come into forgiveness, then I have to grasp an understanding of God's nature of grace and compassion." So it kind of takes you beyond just what does God look like to really who is God, and therefore then beyond what am I supposed to look like to 
who am I? Right. Because you talk so much in the book about making our character as close to Christ as possible yes. to eventually becoming that. That yes. pursuit of his character mm-hmm. is what brings that anointing and that and we are able to see his glory on our lives and like and even when you talked about Moses and his face coming down when he was coming down from the from the mountain and his face mm-hmm. was shining because he got an experience with the glory. Yes. I love that part because it really just opened my eyes to that truth yes. in the word that I, I kind of missed the first mm-hmm. time around. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, in that I talk about a lot of the things that the glory does for you. And in that section, I'm talking about how the glory cancels the presence of the flesh and mm-hmm. self. Yes. So one of the key passages is not only was, key points of that passage is not only was his face illuminated with the glory of the Lord, but the Bible says that, but he was not aware of it. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a loss of awareness of what was happening in his physical um, realm because the spirit realm was overwhelming and consuming him. And so there's so much that we get empowered by through that truth. So when I'm experiencing depression, if I step into the glory, the attribute of God's joy and his nature of laughter and illumination and exuberation, to come into that, there should be all of a sudden I become unaware of what's happening in my soul, what's happening in my mind, what's happening in my flesh. And so that depression begins to dissipate in the illumination of his person and his presence. And so um, I use that story of Moses, and the the opposite is true as well. When Adam and Eve came out of the glory, the first thing they became aware of was their nakedness. nakedness. So they became aware of their flesh. So coming into the attributes of God, practicing the nature of God, practicing the person of God is how we begin to activate the inconsequential effects of our flesh and our soul, if that makes sense. And how would you uh, suggest somebody that is, you know, listening to this and they're like, man, that sounds like something that I've been craving Mm -hmm. and I want and I thirst for. How Mm -hmm. would you recommend somebody get to that place? You talk a lot about being in the closet more Mm -hmm. and being, you know, in Mm -hmm. that word more. What what Mm -hmm. are some like, you know, key key practical Mm -hmm. things that they can do? Yeah, I love that question. So uh, first of all, when we're reading the word, and that's assuming you're reading the word. When you're reading the word, I always ask this question, what am I learning about who God is Mm. from this? So I think we are kind of taught to read the word, but then we're taught to look for how I should be changing or who I should be Mm. or how I should be living my life. We look at it as kind of like a rules book instead of what am I learning about God? So for example, when it says... um, children, do not lie to your parents or do not lie one to another. I'm not learning, oh, it's bad if I lie. What I'm learning is that God is the essence of truth, right? right. So it shifts it. So now I'm not feeling this. Um, Don't do this. But- I'm not feeling this condemnation, right. right? But rather I'm learning, oh my gosh, God is truth. And then I can ask myself, like, why is that attribute important to me? Like, look, we live in a world that's lying to us. Yes. We live in a world that I'm not really sure what to believe. There's only one thing I can count on, and that is, is that God is truth. So then I'm going to take it a step further, and I'm going to say, then what is that? What do I discover about my design? Because if you and I are designed in the image of God, what I'm discovering now is I have been designed with the ability to walk in truth. 
So if I'm somebody who struggles with lying, now I've gotten a different approach. I'm not like, oh, I got to stop lying. Oh, I stop lying. I got to stop lying. Now, because that's frustrating. It's I like trying that. to stop eating chocolate. <laughs> like, I got just one more M&M. I just one more M&M. I got to stop eating these M&Ms, right? But instead, I'm like, you know, I'm going to focus on God's attribute of truth and the beauty of that. God, teach me your truth. I want to come into the knowledge of your truth. I thank you that I'm designed to walk in truth, to walk mm. in illumination, that you have put it in me that I'm walking. So now I'm just coming into this alignment of my God possibility in Christ, and there's no condemnation in that. Like I'm I'm, pers- I, I'm speaking to myself from the side of victory. Mm-hmm. I'm not spanking myself from the side of guilt and condemnation. Right. Um, so I think the first step is when you're reading the Word of God, ask yourself, what do I learn about who God is? I love that. Um, and what do I discover about me? So two things. When I when I used to teach, uh, I, I taught high school, Sunday school years ago when I lived in it, like literally like 20 years ago, and I would have the girls um, put two lines down um, down their paper. So there was three columns, and I, we would read a verse, and I would say, what do we learn about God? What do we learn about the tendency of of the flesh? It will. The tendency is for us to lie, right. right? And what do I learn about my possibility? Well, the possibility is that I, I have the, the ability to walk in truth and in transparency and in total honesty and with integrity and an honorable way. I learn all of that from that one verse that says, do not lie one to another, that we all learned when we were in, you know, three in cubbies right? and, and felt the sting of condemnation in it, right? Um, so same thing about, you know, when we teach about purity or not having sex, like how are we presenting that? Are we, are we giving our students a hunger, um, for purity because God is pure and have they discovered the beauty of living for serving a pure God, Mm. you know? So I think sometimes we put the cart before the horse and saying like, I need you to embrace the action before you have an understanding of the activator in our life. Right. No, that's so. a great point. And I think a lot of it has to do with uh, c- culture becoming more uh, perverse, obviously, and more mm-hmm. secular, but that yeah. also being kind of the church flirting with culture yeah. a little bit too much to yeah. the point where it's like, I don't know which side you're on mm-hmm. uh, unless I really, you know, harp in on it and ask you questions. And if I was just talking to a friend uh, yesterday about this because she just recently came back to her faith, praise God, praise God. and um, was talking about her experiences. You know, mm-hmm. we had a convo and she was saying that she would ask questions and the pastor would kind of like, um, and her small group leader and stuff like that would kind of be evasive about it and not uh, answer the, the tough questions that she was having because, and that made her feel like she didn't have anywhere she can go to. And I was encouraging her that like, God loves your questions. Yeah. You know, like God wants yeah, to go answer to the those word. through his word. Absolutely. And now she's on fire. She's reading the word every Good night. For her. And you know, you talk about once you, once all those feelings you know about depression and all these feelings of um you know family issues and stuff but once you tap into the word you know she told me that all those things were gone she would Mm -hmm. she would leave a chapter of the bible Mm -hmm. and she would be feeling like everything has just uh, been delivered Mm -hmm. and and, and Mm -hmm. erased in peace and she wants that every night and she wants to know how she can continue growing in her faith and Mm -hmm. stuff like that through Mm -hmm. the word and that's i think that's the disconnect between church and the word is is wild and we used to Mm -hmm. see probably in your uh, younger days where people were bringing church, uh, Bibles to churches, yes. and now it's on the phone, it's on yeah. the screen. Well, and I'll take that a step further and say the disconnect between the Word and His character is mm. very big as well, because a lot of times it's possible to read His Word, know His Word, and understand. I mean, I mean the, the disciples walked with Jesus along the road to Emmaus, and they missed the revelation. Right. 
So it's even possible to be walking in the word, but still miss the revelation of his character. That's the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is found in his heart. Mm. The letter of the law is found in the knowledge. And so I can quote all kinds of scriptures all day long, but if I don't have an understanding of the nature of God, the heart of God, then all I'm getting is an understanding of what it looks like versus what it, what it is. Does that make sense? Right. And so there, there's a living, breathing character attribute of Christ that lives and breathes inside of us. And a lot of us never get past acting like Jesus to actually become like Jesus. I like that you said that because like you said in the book and you kind of said earlier, you can kind of fake the funk. Yeah, fake it. You can you can fake it, you yeah. can fake you can learn how to act like a Christian. I don't do this, I don't do that, or yep. you post the things that look right and stuff like that. And that's why I really think that people have flocked to this show because um I've been really preaching this message about like naked Christianity, mm-hmm. which is kind of just vulnerable, just yeah. open, just like here are my struggles, here is how I know I can yeah. get through it through God and here's yeah. how God is working on me. And it just really brings people into this place of uh relationship instead of mm-hmm. feeling like uh, they can't come to church, you know, because they don't meet this standard, you know, or they can't do this because they're not walking in the way that they perceive that they mm-hmm. should be walking at, in that f- moment of their faith journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, one of the things I say in the book, and I say a lot is the spirit can do better than that. Mm. You know, so I've learned how to uh, not say the things that's going through my head out loud because it wouldn't be godly or wouldn't be kind or would, or I've learned how to tolerate people who are quote unquote intolerable, but that's not the best of Jesus in me. Right. You know, the, the Holy Spirit in me can do better than that. God can bring me to a place where I'm not just acting tolerant, but I actually am able to sit and I'm patient and I'm compassionate with that person. That's the spiritual potential that I walk in. Mm-hmm. But a lot of us are like, oh, I've, you know what? But praise God, I just didn't say anything. And I'm like, no, praising God, that's a good start. But yeah. but the greater potential is you didn't think it either. Right. And you talk about that when you first started seeing clients that were mm-hmm. uh, emotional and over the top. Yeah. And you're like, suck it up, sister. Yeah, <laughs> you <my> know? God. <laughs> but, yes. But you ask God to uh, change your heart in that and to mm-hmm. have more compassion. And, and I agree with that because uh, just on the last episode that we did, I was talking to my mother-in-law who uh, has the Subi project mm-hmm. and we were over here just talking about poverty in America and I was you know kind of being open and honest and saying I have a I don't have a lot of compassion for if you're you're poor in America just because there's so many opportunities and stuff like that mm-hmm. but then I started thinking you know listening to the to the to the videos clips and I was like that's that doesn't really show compassion but that that was tr- my truth in that moment and I was yeah. like you know I gave it to God I was like you know if if I need to have that compassion give that to me yeah uh, for people that have poverty in America because mm-hmm. you know that's mm-hmm. Obviously, um, nobody wants to have poverty anywhere, but right. you know when you have it anyway. Right. So, uh, and I love what you said about in Christ because I even wrote this quote down from your book where you say, "In fact, many of us try to discover our identity in our calling, but our identity is only found in Jesus." And mm-hmm. I think that really taps into the character of God, mm-hmm. and that's when we become our best selves, and yes. that's when we're able to tap into mm-hmm. the calling and the anointing even more mm-hmm. once we become more like the character of Christ. Yeah, yeah, and I and that you you know you mentioned earlier how we're up against the narrative of the culture. Um, and the narrative of the culture is so much about your calling. And uh, I was, I was texting with a pastor the other day and I asked him how church was and he told me how many people they had and he gave me a number. And I said, what was the weight of the spirit? 
Mm. Right. So I was kind of challenging him to think about a different way to measure the success than of the, the room, right? The attendance. Like wow. what was Good so for you. instead of the number of people that attended, what how did the spirit weigh? What was, what the, was the weight of the Holy Spirit in that day? Wow. And 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 this guy, I'm pretty sure it was probably heavy because I know him very well. And he was like, uh, oh, it was heavy, you yeah. know? <laughs> right. So like was so, he so he was just focusing on the wrong thing? No, I mean it wasn't necessarily wrong. I just was I was just curious. To, I, to yeah. me it didn't mean anything that he threw a number at me. Right. You know, I understand that. Like I we you know, it does show progress in the spirit and all that stuff, but I was more interested in going but but what what was the spirit weighing? Right. Was he 1000 pounds? Was he 10,000 pounds? Mm. You know, knowing that the Shekinah glory is the weightiness of the of the Lord. It that it brings a heaviness in the room, the heaviness that knocks the priests to the yeah. ground and they can't stand to perform their duty, right? So I was just, it was kind of just a pun between him and I, and I was like, but what was the weight of the Spirit? You so know? speaking of the Spirit, let's tap into something real quick. <laughs> <laughs> we well, can't I got you go on there. That. Yeah. Speaking of the Spirit, you know, the, the outpouring of the gifts that we see in Acts, I'm trying to reread Acts because I've had a couple conversations with a few different people mm-hmm. about the gifts still being here versus the gifts not still being here. Uh-huh. And I wanted to kind of get your feedback on that uh, because you've seen deliverance, you've seen prophecy, you've seen healings. Yes. So uh, do would you say that they are still here? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so a lot of them base that out of, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, 14, it talks about, um, for now we see in part, but at some point that they will fade away. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people think that the end of Acts, at the end of the apostles brought the end of the manifestational gifts. I believe that that passage is talking about uh, once we get into into the glory of the Lord, once we are glorified, once we get into heaven, that there will be no more need for those gifts um, because the purpose of the gifts are to edify, to demonstrate, to be a sign. And so when Jesus says to the disciples in Mark chapter 16, you know, go out into the world, preach the gospel, and bring these accompanying signs— these are the signs of those who believe, and it says that they will take up serpents with their hands, they will speak in new tongues, they will lay hands on the sick and they will be healed, they can drink of something deadly, but it will not, by no means will it harm them. And then it says, then the disciples went and they preached the word and the Lord confirmed the word with the accompanying signs. Mm-hmm. So he's talking about those signs. So I believe that those signs are very important because a lot of times the whole world is throwing knowledge at us, right? right. But I'm like, where's the proof in the pudding? Like, I want to see evidence of all the knowledge that's being sent. So if somebody says God is healer, I want to see evidence. I mean, I know faith is seeing when I don't believe, mm-hmm. but I am human. Shout and out I want I want to <laughs> yeah, I want to see evidence that God is a healer. Um so I, I don't understand what's crazy is people will say that the manifestational gifts have um have ceased um but then if I say so you don't believe God is a healer, they'll say, oh yeah, I believe it's a healer. And so I'm like, okay, so how does this healing come? Well, you know, it just, you know, like, and I'm like, well, it, so where do you draw that line? If they go forward and a pastor prays for them for healing, mm-hmm. is that no longer count because that's considered a manifestational gift or the gift was activated through the pastor? Well, no, no, no. That What if the pastor lays hands? Well, as long as the pastor doesn't believe that the healing went through his hand. Right. And so it's, it's just kind of weird and muddy to me. I'm like, we, again, it goes back to moving beyond how God works, the ways of the Spirit to, does it line up with the character and the attribute of God? Mm. God is healer. So the anointing that flows out of the attribute of healer is healing, right? Mm. And so God 
flows through his people, just like Jesus fed the multitude through the disciples. Mm. He handed the food to the disciples and they fed the people. And again, we learn about Jesus. We learn the attribute of God in there is that he works through people. Yeah. I mean, he could, in the Old Testament, he dropped, you know, fish and, and birds and he drop all that stuff from the sky. He dropped manna from the sky. But in the New Testament, through the person of Jesus Christ, he was defining a new way of the kingdom possibilities being manifested here on earth. And he did it through the disciples. When he resurrected Lazarus from the dead, he said to the disciples, go set them free. Mm. There was an invitation for the disciples to be... Uh, partake of, in the kingdom. Partake in the deliverance. Because what right. we see there is resurrection, but he was still bound up. Right. Right? That's so true. to me, that was a, a, all re- resurrecting from the dead through salvation, mm-hmm. but there's still some discipleship and deliverance that needs to take place in La- poor Lazarus's life. And that's the role of the disciples. That's a whole nother book for a whole nother day. Absolutely. Because <laughs> I was just about to say, that can go, that can go because there is, that is how you get to the promised yes. land. It's through that unwrapping of the yes, things. And I think, absolutely. and I'm learning recently that, man, I wanted to say one other thing, but I'll go back to that. Uh, I do think that's one way. I was just having a, a conversation before I got here with my father about um, about therapy and the value of that. And like once we become a new, once we become um, a Christian, we become a new creation. You know, it's kind of like the principle of like, you know, you become the butterfly. You can't go, you're not considered the caterpillar anymore, but that still takes work and that still takes unwinding the things mm-hmm. that are strongholds, unwinding the things mm-hmm. that you feel are chained to, generational yeah. curses, um, curses mm-hmm. and, and bondages that, that you may not even know exist and breaking those off in the name of Mm. jesus but you have to work through those things and have to be delivered from those things and it's not just going to happen um you know without any effort or Mm -hmm. any kind of uh, deliverance or or prayer or or jesus being involved in right a working out of your salvation yeah what scripture would call it or training yourself towards righteousness training yourself towards righteousness and do you suggest because you're a counselor as well Mm -hmm. do you see that a lot happen absolutely absolutely you know i i tell people all the time you know when you are delivered from a stronghold aka a demon Mm-hmm. AKA a core lie. Mm-hmm. And we can call like, depending on my audience, we'll just call, I'll just cover all the bases. It could be a core lie, a demon, uh, stinking thinking, call it what you want. It's a demon. It's a, it's a, it's a negative toxic spirit in your life. And so if you have dealt with this negative toxic spirit in your life, let's say you've dealt with it since you were 15 or you've till you were 12 or 25, whatever it is. Well, your personality and the way you respond to things, the way you behave begins to um, mold itself around that toxic thought or that lie or that demon. Right. So if I live in fear of men, it's going to affect the way I behave around men. Well, when I get delivered from that demon, I go into that point of trauma, I break my agreement with all men are bad, whatever it is. So, so we can call it healing, we can call it deliverance. Either way, I'm shifting my mindset. I've decided I'm no longer going to live in that trauma. That trauma point leaves my body. I get delivered from fear of men, a demon that's kept, you know, I, I would call that a Jezebel, part of a Jezebel spirit, but we can go down that path another day as well. But the point is, is now I have all these behaviors. I still have that triggered reaction that <gasps> I just saw a man, oh, my heart rate's up, you know, all these things. All of that still has to be dealt with. And so it's like a rock with Play-Doh. I've cast the rock out, but I still have this Play-Doh that I need to remold. Ooh, so if okay. I take a rock out of Play-Doh, it still carries the impression of, 
of the rock. And so now I have to start remolding it. What to look around, what I talk about in here is the character is the impression. It's the imprint of Jesus. A caricature caricature Mm -hmm. in the Greek is actually an object that they would use to shape or mold wood. Ah. It's actually, so... So a character is what leaves an impression. So I could, um, and I talk about this in the book, you know, I've, I've seen people speak in tongues and minister deliverance, but what impresses me is when I see ministers minister in love. Mm. Because character is what impresses. Personality doesn't, doesn't leave an impression. Right. We can be very charismatic. A short term. Um, but still be jerks. Yeah. That's, and that short term like I know a too. lot of narcissists that have great personalities. Right. Right. It's character that leaves an impression. The character of Jesus left an imprint. It, it left an impression in our world. And it should leave an impression in our lives to the point where we're impressing other people's lives with, that. with the person of Jesus Christ. Because he lives within us. But if the impression that you see in my life is that I fear men and I live in anger and I'm depressed and I'm hurt and I'm, that's uh, nobody wants to be impressed by that. Right. That's not an impression. So, so I talk a lot about that in the book too, like what is character and looking at it from a Greek and Hebrew perspective, which is a really important when you do absolutely that. when you're looking at the Word of God, really kind of taking a look beyond that, um, uh, and really asking myself, you know, what's the impression? Am I living under the impression of my past? Mm. Am I living under the impression of the world? Am I living under the impression of my experience, how I feel right now, the, my knee that is hurting? Or am I living under the impression of God and his love and his nature and his attributes and his truth? Go ahead. Bring and, it. And this, this, ta- this just rang a bell. You know, when you said this in your book, I'm going to read from page 73. Uh, I believe this is chapter uh, six. I'm just impressed that you don't have to put reading glasses on. <laughs> you must be under the age of 40. <laughs> for, for now, for now. You say, I'm going to be honest. I get tired of believers looking like they are just barely making it through life. You know what I'm talking about. It's that look of stress or that look of drama. It's the heavy sighs and the rolling of the eyes. This sends a message that is opposite of the glory of God. That's right. His glory is peace, but our faces speak stress and angst and frustration. His glory speaks love, but our faces speak anger. His glory speaks patience, but our faces speak irritation and intolerance. Some even would say, (laughs) some even have what have been uh, termed as RBF. And I love how you say, look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't want to put a cuss word in my book. (laughs) Yeah, right? You're like, look it up. (laughs) It was great. And then you even say this. And I wrote this even specifically in my phone. And you say, I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't have an RBF. No. And that's kind of the same thing you're kind of talking about when you're having these strongholds and these things that are, you know, you're not willing to move past just salvation. Yeah. You're not willing to get to that meat Mm -hmm. of like what the character looks like. Mm -hmm. And you're not willing to unravel and unpack the things that are holding you back from from his character Mm -hmm. and from his further glory and from his further anointing on your life and God actually Mm -hmm. using you. Because like you're saying, if you have all those things and you're feeling that kind of way, who's going to want to talk to you about Christ? Yes, exactly right. Who's going to get like impressed that like, oh, Christ is working on that person Mm -hmm. or I do see the fruit. Mm -hmm. And that's a big one. I feel like when you're having that moment of being able to, uh, you know, come off as the character of Christ, that shows the fruit on your life, which is attractive to people. It makes them say, hey, he's different. And the Bible Mm -hmm. talks about that, you know, being different. Yeah. I mean, the Bible does say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Mm -hmm. And we as believers aren't giving people much to taste and see. Yeah. We got foul mouths. We got foul facial expressions. We got foul communications. We're gossiping about our neighbor, complaining about our husband, fussing about our children, complaining about our finances, talking about our president. I mean, you you name it. 
And, and it's like, man, we're not, all we're given is bitter, sour fruit for people to taste. And the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Wow. So you got to ask yourself, man, what is the fruit that I'm putting off in my life? And are people around me going, man, I want to get me some more of that. Right. I want to hang out with her a little bit more. I don't know what it is about her, but there's something she's got that I want. That I love how I feel when I'm around her. That's how I feel when I'm with you. Yeah. Really, um, that's what genuinely. I want for people. I want them to walk away going, man, I feel encouraged. Like, I want to go to coffee with you. Yeah. This hour wasn't long enough. Right. And that's the spirit. That's how it should be. We want to linger in the spirit. And when we become the carriers of that presence, people want to linger in our presence because they sense the presence of God on us and they want that. Because that's what we're designed for. How would you encourage people to get over that hump of, you know, breaking the chains of like all those things that you kind of talked about? Because mm -hmm. I even, you know, myself, I complain more than I should. I get grumpy. I sure. get angry. And I just, you know, find myself thinking like, you know, and, and you know, sometimes I, I get hard on myself in that mm -hmm. regard. And I'm, But I realize that like there is growth that, mm -hmm. that happens and takes mm -hmm. place. And like the more you seek, the more he will reveal yeah. himself in you, yeah. you know, and to you. I, this is probably a different answer than I've ever given before, but it's what came to my mind. So Holy Spirit, you do it. Um, I, the first thing that came to my mind is, the is we need to stop justifying our behaviors. And I think we live in a world that has explained, oh, you have depression. Let's go. Or, oh, you have you know, you're a type A person, even the Enneagram types sometimes will use those things. And I love the Enneagram. I love personality tests, those kinds of things. But when we allow them to become a justification for not changing, mm. now they have become our God. Idols. They have yeah. become what has impressed me and what is defining me. Right. Like if you allow your Enneagram type to define you more than Jesus defines you, then we're off, right? So I think the first thing to changing is recognizing I don't I don't have to live my life. I don't have to continuously have this thought. I don't have to be just okay. Oh, I'm all right. I'm all right. You know, I'm I'm doing all right. I'm making it. Right. Right? Like, come on, we can do better than that. Like, mm -hmm. I don't I understand. I live in the same country everybody else lives. I am a business owner and I am I am experiencing the same supply chain issues you are experiencing. But you know what? God is good. Right. And I am more than all right today. Do you think that's an attitude change? Is that is that something starting your day with God? Is it having God's truth on your heart for yeah, a long period of time? I, I, what, I think how do you get there? You know, so okay, so let me go into the Greek word attitude is actually from the Greek word phreneo, which actually means an exercise of the mind and an affection of the heart. So the word attitude actually encompasses how I exercise my mind and how I cultivate the affections of my heart. So now I've, I have to get engaged in actively choosing to exercise my mind in the direction I want it to think. Your brain is a muscle. <laughs> so if you want it to start thinking new thoughts, it's going to take some intentional action, active thinking. That's why Philippians 4, 8 says, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is noble, to set your mind, to meditate upon these things. He's saying, look, you have to train your mind to think about these things. And then training the affection of our heart. You know, in the in the scripture, there's often no distinguishment between the head and the heart. Um, it's often just called uh, the guts of the believer, mm -hmm. um, which is where compassionate resides. Compassion is in the gut. It's in the in the loins of of Jesus. 
Um, and so it's deep within you. It's in the core of who you are. And so I, I think it does start with going like, I'm going to choose. And I want to be really in- careful here because I'm not asking people to fake things, right? right. Because again, I know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. I know what it looks like to walk in joy. But at some point you have to go, gosh, am I just acting and playing? And can God do better than that in my life? Do I want him to do better than that? Have I settled for uh. the wilderness and I'm missing, I've been delivered from Egypt, but now I'm in the wilderness and I'm kind of good enough. I've learned how to manage my depression. I've learned how to manage my anger. I've learned how to manage my eating disabilities. I've learned how to manage my, my marriage, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, I go to bed exhausted from mentally and emotionally managing my life. The Holy Spirit can and does do better than that. Mm. There is so much freedom in recognizing, dude, I I am, but we have to have that acknowledgement first and stop justifying and go, you know what, man, I've been, I've been struggling with anger and bitterness towards this person. And I've just been mustering up the sweetness of the kingdom towards this person. But I have to first acknowledge and not justify why I'm angry and bitter at this person. I have to acknowledge, I think the spirit can do better. I think I can do better. And so Holy Spirit, I'm going to come before you and I'm going to acknowledge that you are grace Mm. and you are patience. It's not that you you are that you activate patience or that you uh, act patiently. It's that you are the essence of, and if you are in me, then I declare that your patience and your grace is in me. And right now I don't feel it and I don't think it, but I'm going to declare what I know. Right. I'm going to declare what is true, not what I feel and what I think, because I don't live by feel, feel and think. I shouldn't be living by feel and think. Mm-hmm. I should be living by faith. Yes. So do, do you feel do you feel that you're is that why you're kind of so I feel big into your previous books about affirmations and declarations mm-hmm. because you're kind of you're tra- That's how you activate these truths. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And I think, you know, taking a look, so so I have some U version devotionals. One came out yesterday. Um and that's all they are. Thank you. That's all they are is really just taking a look at a scripture passage taking a look at what can I declare out of this passage, what is true about God, and then looking in a mirror and saying, and what can I declare to myself? What is true about me, right? So I can feel depression, but it's not true that I am depressed. I am a child of the newborn king. Right. I carry the joy of the kingdom. Let's go, Jesus. Do I feel depression occasionally? Absolutely, I'm human, but I am not the essence of depression. You're not going to live in that. Uh, the feeler does not become the feeling, and the thinker does not become the thought. I wrote that. I, I, I wrote that down. I wrote that down. I wrote that down. That's somewhere in here. I wrote it's that down. <laughs> and I think so. When I tell people, and they're like, "Oh, my depression, my this, my that," and can I, I? And I will say, "Hey, can I give you just as a counselor? Can I give you one piece of empowerment? I don't want to give them counsel or advice. Can I get? Can I just give you? Can I just say one thing to empower you? And of course, they usually are like, "Yeah, absolutely." And I was like. You don't have to be one with any affliction that you have. Infirmity, you talk a lot about that too. It does not have to become who you are. So you can say, I struggle with depression, or sometimes I feel depression, but it doesn't have to become who you are. You get to say, depression, I feel you, I see you, I'm even experiencing you, but you are not of me. Like, and just creating that separation. And that's what the word of God, it divides asunder, separating between the soul and the spirit, mm-hmm. right? All of that affliction takes place in the soul and in the flesh. The spirit has no affliction. 
And so I get to step into the spirit and say, ooh, there's an affliction in my soul, but it's not of me because I'm a child of God. And I, I mean, that's what the psalmist was saying when he said, what's wrong with you, soul? What, what, what's up with you, oh, my soul? Why are you so down? Because like, seriously, don't you remember? Recall the goodness of the Lord. Mm. See, he's stepping into the spirit. He's stepping into the glory. The attribute, what is he saying? Recall the nature of God. Yes. Recall the glory of the Lord. And then he's speaking into his soul and saying, what is your problem? <laughs> Seriously. Mm-hmm. Right. Remember that God is good. Remember the attributes of God. And if we're, if we're remembering that, then suddenly the soul begins to lift itself up. And so that's, that's just where we start. I, I mean, there's a lot. I say there's a lot to it, but it really is very simple. Yeah. But the first thing we have to do is we have to acknowledge, A, that I need to change, and B, that I want to change. Um, and a lot of us have, we've had our personality for many years. I've had this personality for 49 years. Yeah. And so it would be very easy for me, like, well, that's just the way I am. It's kind of how I tick. Right. And my father and I were talking about that on the phone today about, you know, if we were, if he were to go, you know, to counseling and, you know, talk to somebody, you know, he's in his sixties. So he's like, man, I just feel like I'm too old for like no. those, those things. And so what would you say to that? If somebody said that they were too old no, to be man, able to. If you're not dead, God's not done. Hey, there you, you know, go. we live on the increase. Mm-hmm. And so we should expect that the attributes, the character, fullness, the fullness of the Holy Spirit should continuously increase in our lives. And the more he increases, the more I decrease. Right. And so to say, oh, I'm done. At yeah. 60, I'm done. No. No. You can still, so you're saying you can still change. Oh, and, yeah. 100%. Yes. I hope I'm still changing on my deathbed. Right. I pray that the Holy Spirit invites me through conviction to go a, a level deeper on my deathbed, mm. to just pursue just another level. We say in our world um, that conviction is an invitation to the next level of intimacy with God. That's all it is right? The church, religion, the world will teach us that conviction is condemnation. It's discipline. It's guilt. It's shame. It's a place to tuck our head, you know? Wow. And conviction, when we see people going forward, convicted by the spirit, man, we should be like, man, you're, you're stepping into a deeper level of intimacy with the spirit. Like there's, Whoa. we shouldn't be going, oh, I wonder if they, they're stuck in pornography. <laughs> I uh, love all your impressions. <laughs> all your impressions. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but there should be a rejoicing in us. You know, when, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, it's not to spank us. Yeah. It's to invite us. I love that. And people need to hear that. People need to hear that because I've, I've, I haven't put words on it. In, but when you said that, it made the aha moment that you're mm-hmm. so good at preaching about and, 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 and making me feel. <laughs> it's like, I'll, I'll notice that and I'll feel like this level of conviction. And then I'm like, next thing you know, I'm doing a fast. Next thing you know, I'm feeling breakthroughs. Next yes. thing you know, I'm like tapping into something that I didn't yes. feel I, I was even able to do myself. And it's completely God just, you know, taking me through something where he needed to take mm-hmm. me through in that moment. What does the scripture say? It says times of repentance brings about seasons of refreshing, refreshing, refreshment, something like that. I should probably look it up before I try and quote <laughs> it, but uh, it's times, it's, maybe it's times of repentance brings about seasons of refreshing. I'm going to look it up. All right. But that, I mean, that if somebody's good. watching and you can, they can put it in the comments. Yeah. Speaking of the comments, uh, do we have any engagement going on here? Engagement. Of, uh, we have, we're, I think we're live on YouTube. Facebook and Instagram. I have the book all propped up. This is the first book that I've done where we didn't do a dust cover, but they actually did like a, a printed canvas. It's beautiful style. I really like it. So um, the, this publishing company, Five Stones Press, is actually republishing another one of my books, Look Enforcing Purpose. Let's so go. Um, it should be out. 
Uh, in fact, I got the back of the cover to proof this morning. So uh, my guess is probably in the next week or two, it will be released wow. and it will have a whole new cover on it. It still have the same, all the contents the same. Yeah. Um, the publishing company that I, that, that has picked me up, they, they love my content, praise God. Um, they just don't like the covers, <laughs> which because, you know, I self published. Yeah, and right. so, you know, you just kind of publish through, through, uh, Amazon or what have you. And I mean, look at this, you see this, this is new. Like yes, we, we just, you got to keep yes. evolving and growing. And I 100%, just like you, we are the brand, mm -hmm. you know, or we, we are the product. Right. Our, our, my counseling is the product. My message is the product. Obviously Jesus is our product. Don't, please don't send me any hate mail. Oh, she thinks she's your product. <laughs> Lord have mercy. So it's difficult to print, self-publish your own book and put your own picture on it. You Why know, is that? I don't know. I think, you know, there's, a, there's something in yeah. you that's like, it feels arrogant, you know? Yeah. Um, but also then the spirit says, yeah, God has anointed me yes. to write and to preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I'm proud of the anointing that God has placed on me. And so, but sometimes you just need somebody else to be like, let us take the picture and pick for you. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's for sure. And so I, I, I love how they're redoing. Um, they have changed some of the um, subtitles. Uh, they have a th come and see. They changed the title. Yeah. It was discipleship from information to execution. I think come and see is much better. Um, <laughs> Flows, and, you know, because yes, I told you I read the discipleship book and I was like, I can't remember the full name. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know? now just come and see, yeah. and it's it says I don't even remember what the subtitle is. I'm looking at Liz, but because she's affectionately my brain behind the scenes, guys. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, that's incredible. Did you meet them through, um, one of your ministry teachings so as well? So I met them, they came to a house meeting actually, and wow. I ministered to them and the Lord gave me a really strong prophetic word for both of them. And they were both like, Whoa, this lady's legit. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had no idea that they had a publishing company. She is actually a like 55 time New York bestselling author or something wow. like that. So she actually writes under her pen name. Time? I think it might be more than that. That's insane. It's like ridiculous. Um, if I, if I threw out her pen name, probably a lot of people would know who she is. I'm not going to do that. Um, cause she's just super humble. Um, when you say pen name. What, what so does she that writes under an author, a pen name. Are you her, serious? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Uh, so anyway, so they just really have a heart for coming alongside people who are particularly writing, uh, gospel messages, um, and helping them become successful. I, you know, I've never done, you worked with a publisher before because they take the rights, um, but these guys don't take the rights. I keep the rights. And obviously they, you know, they make a profit off it. I make a profit off it, whatever. L listen, you don't write a book to, to get rich. Just yeah. FYI. No, for sure. You write a book because there's a message burning on your heart. And when you're done with it, like you said, you kind of have that, it's getting less and less for me. We have that two week depression where you're like, no, I just released a book and nobody even knows, you know? Yeah. Oh, you had that too? <laughs> I did really bad. With each one, it gets less and less. You know, yeah. I, I said to Brad about two weeks before this one came out, I said, I'm trying to gear myself up emotionally for the anticlimactic release of my seventh book, right. you know? Yeah, that's funny. Because you expected everything to be like, oh my gosh, and you have a thousand sales in the first day. And it's just not like that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where you have to seek diligently the reward of the Lord and right. feel the pleasure of the kingdom and that you did what God asked you to do to the best of your ability, and I feel great. Good, I'm so with the reward of the Lord. So that's why I tell people when they're like, "I'm thinking about writing a book." I'm like, "Okay, first let's talk about the emotion behind it, because yes. if you think, oh my God, I'm going to hit the best-selling author, and I'm, you know, and I'm, and people are going to be contacting me from around the world, and 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 sometimes I do have some people that contact me from mm. around the world because they read to love and to be loved, and they picked it up. I had one guy that was like, oh, I think your book was like left in the airport. And I'm like, what does that say about the person <laughs> left it behind, you know? Um, but 
I guess the Lord positioned it because he, yeah. he said his marriage was radically healed through the book. Wow, so, that's powerful. You talk about um, vulnerable. If you have not read my book, To Love and To Be Loved, it has not been republished yet. It's probably going to be next. But I talk very intimately about some of the intentional changes that Brad and I had to engage in in our marriage to turn an, a good marriage into a great marriage. Right. I, I listened to your uh, conference oh, that, you just, yeah. that you just published and it was mm-hmm. really good. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, you know, I heard you speaking on that and it made me want to read that book as well. And also that's your son Turner's favorite book as well. To Love and to Be Left. Yeah. He, yeah. he told me that was uh, his Well, book I mean, he lived through some of it. He probably recalls like some of the things in his childhood of, of the personality of our marriage and mm-hmm. then watched as he was in his college years was when we really started kind of actively changing the personality of our marriage, which required intentionality for both Brad and I. Yeah. Um, the alternative was I was like, look, we can do one of two things. We can go and get divorced and just part our ways, or we can actively change and pursue a better marriage. But what I'm not going to do is continue on the same path. Right. It's just too stale. It's too lukewarm. And I think we can do better. Yeah. And I love that you said that because uh, my wife and I had a conversation about, you know, there's seasons where there's, you know, the passion doesn't exist or like, the passion is not what it once yes. was uh-huh. or, you know, but you have to get I don't to have the chills up and down my spine when you touch me. Yeah. So yeah. you got to get to a place of, you know, um, getting, I don't want to say like getting over that hump, but getting to a place of like, even we communicating about it kind of helped us get back into a place of like, you know, we had certain talks that led us to a place of, you know, we're, we're back in a good place of mm-hmm. like moving forward and like enjoying each other's company, wanting yeah. to spend time together, wanting to talk because, uh, I'm very similar to you. I get very like overly consumed in like my career and my pursuit and like my, my mm-hmm. thirst for just creating and publishing mm-hmm. books and, and content and scripts and episodes and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, my business as well, uh, that sometimes I give, you know, I, I put my family on the backseat or mm-hmm. the, oh, I have to do this instead of I get to do I this. I get to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, yeah. that really, you know, puts a chink in our armor and makes me feel like the passion doesn't exist, but a lot of times the ball is in my court that I'm failing to pick up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So well, would you say when, when you experienced that with Brad that you guys are both kind of like independently doing your own lives on your own path? For sure. Yeah. We functioned very well together. I yeah. told people, I said, we parented well together. Uh, we made really good money together and we had really good sex, but there was nothing emotional. There was mm-hmm. no, you know, we weren't doing life together. We weren't dreaming together. Um, we weren't emotionally connecting. And so that's where we really had to kind of go, man, there's just something deeply missing. And and we feel like the design that God has in mind for marriage uh, is better than what we have. And so for us, it had to become about no longer fighting each other, but fighting together for God's design. Mm. So how do, how do you guys improve that together? Like how you guys, uh, you know, you say... Uh, you guys weren't emotionally doing things. Correctly. Yeah. How so I think the first way? thing was being honest with what we really wanted mm. um, instead of justifying each other's shortcomings. So let me give you an example. You know, Brad's by nature not a very romantic guy. And so I just kind of over years just kind of justified for him, like, well, oh, I'm just probably never going to get romance. He's just not a romantic guy. It's no big deal. When at the core of who I was, I really wanted to be romanced. And, and what was happening is not only was I justifying that, but I was giving him an out of becoming the romance of the kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. And so what God, what Brad did when I, when I took the courage to communicate, I know you're not a romantic person, but it's a deep desire that I have. It's a need that I have to be romanced. And he went back to the Lord with that. And the Lord told him, and he, he'll tell you the story. The Lord told him, you may not be a romantic guy, but I'm a romantic God. Mm-hmm. And if you press into me, I'll teach you how to romance your wife. 
And so the first thing was we had to be honest about what we wanted and no longer justify our own actions Mm. or justify each other's actions. That's good. Going back to what we talked about earlier, the justification of it. Yeah, we wanted change and we were like, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to make change and it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to require a lot of difficult conversations mm-hmm. that sometimes didn't feel great because there were, to the same degree, there were things that he was like, I really need this and want this. And he traveled a lot and he got very sensitive to when he would call home. I was always with the kids. I was cooking. I was bathing and I never had time. I was like, and it just frazzled me when I, now I have to have a conversation. So he just stopped calling. Right. And so over years of travel, what happened is we'd go five, six, seven days without even communicating because I, in a sense, had trained him that it was, it was a pain in my butt that you're interfering with my day when you call me. And on the flip side, after 10 or 15 years, I'd be like, well, I just feel like I'm living a single mom life, life and yeah. I'm feeling rejected because my husband doesn't even reach out to me while he's gone. Yeah. And so we together had established that pattern. And when we came together and acknowledged, I don't really like it. I don't really like it either. Um, but it's easier for us not to talk, yeah. you know? So sometimes I am busy and he calls me and I'm like, Ugh, you know, <laughs> but again, I'm like, no, this is the pattern we have established. And at the end of the day, I want my husband to be thinking about me in the middle of his day. And I want to stop what I'm doing to make time for my husband. Oh, that's sweet. So we have to be super intentional about still even engaging in some of those new patterns. Yeah. Do you feel that you had to sacrifice some things that were important to you to make that happen? No, mm I don't think so. I think both of us were very sensitive to what was, in fact, I think we became better at it because we started partnering each other's importance. Um, And so instead of here's me and this is what's important to me and here's me and here's what's important to me, we came together and it's like, if this is important to you, then it's important to me. Gotcha. So it wasn't more like, you know, it was like now we're partnering in each other's um, priorities. Mm -hmm. And um, we're supporting each other. And so instead of being the lone rangers out here and having to sacrifice to meet in the middle, we were meeting each other in each other's important places and working more together. That's really good. Yeah. That's, that's encouraging. And it sounds like he's kind of come to a place of like him growing from growing more into the character of God by, you know, seeking that yeah. the romance side. And, and Both of us. Well, yeah. Absolutely. Have you seen, you know, we talk about, you know, the RBF thing and like, you know, Christians walking through this and not being able to tap into that character. Have you seen somebody in your personal life that you admire, uh, that you have maybe uh, ministered to or that you've counseled that have gone from like just a salvation moment to the promised land? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I don't know where to, I mean, every resident that we house, I I say every resident, but that's really what we do for a living is watching them come in. At Crazy Eight Ministries, Yeah, not just in poverty, not just homeless, but with the mentality of poverty Mm. and really actively working to get them to understand that their design is to live on the increase. I mean, when, when God blessed Adam and Eve, the first thing he said was be fruitful and multiply. Yes. He spoke to, again, the attribute of I'm a God of multiplication. I'm a God of production. I'm a God of abundance. Um, and then saying, stand upon the earth and ab- subdue it, teaching that we were given the authority. So I don't have to get my butt kicked by the world. I don't have to get my butt kicked by the economy. Yeah. I get to kick butt in the midst of the economy, you yeah. know? Um, and so, uh, yes, we, we get to see that. And, and obviously my clients that I work with, I mean, it, everything, no matter what level we're at, Zach, you and I, 
Um, we, there is a, another level for us and that's what excites me tomorrow when we wake up, we should expect that we're moving into another level of our character of Christ, mm-hmm. that I'm mo- moving into another level of joy, that I'm moving into another level of revelation. I'm moving into another level of deliverance, prophetic. I'm moving into another level of honor and honesty, integrity. And so there's an automatic increase in the kingdom. When we look out in creation, we get it. Yeah. We expect a tree to grow from year to year. Right. We should expect that our character is going to grow from year to That's year. That's good. Yeah. I received that. Yeah. I received that for real. And you talk about this, and uh, and I kind of shared this in my book about you, that you talk about- You talk about me in your book? I do. Oh, okay. Yeah, a little, little blurb, you know, okay. a, little, <laughs> a little, little note about how you think that one of the ways that, you know, Christians take back the kingdom of God is doing it in the business world mm-hmm. and doing it economically. Can you elaborate on that so people listening don't think oh, that they have so to stay- So first of all, let me say this. I would love to come back and just talk about, you that? know- okay. About business um and and god's business uh what was the question so kind of taking back the kingdom in business and like what christians need to understand about that in order yeah to... I, I think that you know when you look you know when you look at the old testament the, the king and the priest the king and the prophet functioned as one there was a role for each one and the king often funded the priest and the prophet and the priest and the prophet were the guidance the guiding star, if you if you will, to the kings, and so um, we look at Nehemiah and Ezra. Nehemiah is actually building a wall that was the, of the economy; it was a worldly build. It mm-hmm. wasn't the temple. Ezra was building the temple, but in both scenarios, there was the favor of God upon both of them. And um, and so it, it, well, I was tell, talking about this the other day how in Nehemiah, when he starts building the wall, the enemies come around. They're like, well. Uh, let us help you. Like you need us. We have to help you build. Yada yada. And he he bas- he responds and he basically says that this isn't your business. Mm. Our business is God's business. Right. Um, and so I think what you have to recognize is any and I, I preached on giving this last Sunday. Any dollar that comes into your pocketbook, anything that comes under your stewardship, anything that your name is on comes into the business of God. Mm. Um, and I think that we are designed um, to. Uh, to dominate the business world. There we go. Uh, <laughs> he's like, say it. Uh, and I think that we have uh, limited ourselves as believers um, to thinking that uh, having an influence for the kingdom needs to look like ministry. Because honestly, there's a lot of people in business who need the influence of probably more so. I mean, right. like that's like going, you know, it's like Jesus is like, I'm not going to, the, I, I mean, I came for sick people. A doctor didn't come for people who are healed. Um, and so I find an incredible amount of joy and an incredible amount of opportunity uh, for kingdom influence in the business world, Ooh. which is where I was, you know, kind of hesitant. like, oh, do I throw out that, you know, sometimes they lay hands on people and they fall out or they start, you know, mm-hmm. manifesting demons or they levitate on the floor, those kinds of things. But what I have discovered is people, unbelievers, are probably more hungry for that. There are there again, there's a natural, we're designed for the supernatural. Yes. Right? Absolutely. We were designed yeah. to flow in the supernatural works of the kingdom. That's why Jesus was like, I'm gonna lay hands on you and you're gonna go cast out demons because mm-hmm. you don't realize this. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are designed to flow in the supernatural. Um, well, you know, all over in the Old Testament, we see pagan kings having a hunger for supernatural things. And so we learn from that, that even people who are not believers, they have a hunger. That's why people love Lord of the Rings. They love Harry Potter. They love, 
I mean, now Wednesday's out, right? Like we have this, this natural inclination where we're, we have this hunger. I, I think I believe that's why uh, a lot of young boys love to play the games where they have those supernatural powers, right? Because they like to envision themselves defying the natural. And that's a reality in Christ. That's when he says, well, you can bend a bow of bronze. Bronze is the hardest metal that's out there. And the psalmist says, in Christ, you can bend a bow of bronze. That's defying the natural. And so um, I think this, the, the business world needs that, that our economy needs that. Um, so I, I could talk about that all day long, but all get right. into business, be get into two. business, get into business. Telling me or you? I'm, I'm telling an, anybody <laughs> like we, I'll believe, any believers get into business. It is how you invest in the kingdom and it's how, how we're going to take our economy back. I love that. Mm-hmm. We'll have you on for part two for that. All right. All right. Lisa Schwartz, make sure you go pick up her book. It's called The Pursuit of His Glory. You can find it on Amazon. Anywhere else they can find it? Oh, gosh. You can find it on my website. I think it's on several different. Look at Yeah. <laughs> Barnes and Nobles, all Dang, the places. Girl, yeah. You're out here. <laughs> you on shelves and everything? Yeah. Yeah. Look at you. So, That's amazing. There Congratulations. It is. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lisa, for coming on the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you for all you've done for this I Like Birds Absolutely. ministry. I love you and I appreciate you. Appreciate you too. All right. See you next time. Bye.